Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. David Jackson filling in for DG today, our number two of the program on a free for all Friday. 800-849-2761, the number to call to be a part of the program. We've got so much that we can allow you, the sports fan, the, the takeover artist on this day, to cover. We've got Panthers conversation. We've got college football on the horizon. World Series game three tonight and all of the various storylines along with that. Hour number two of the program, we are going to talk a little bit of baseball, minor league style, as it relates to North Carolina with this whole impasse between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball about where their deal may go. 1.30 this afternoon, we'll have J.J. Cooper, executive editor for Baseball America. He was the one out in front of this story about the uh, relationship shifting between these two and what it can ultimately mean for minor league baseball as an industry but with 11 affiliated teams in north carolina it means a lot to us from our entertainment perspective and dollars and cents perspective quite honestly especially in some of the larger markets within the state so we'll get jj cooper's thoughts on that in the two o'clock hour we'll talk a little bit of nba buzz peterson assistant gm of the charlotte hornets former north carolina tar heel star on the court uh, Buzz coached, what, three teams in the North Carolina, South Carolina uh, metropolitan region there between App State, UNC Wilmington, Coastal Carolina, even spent some time over in Tennessee as a college basketball coach. We'll talk to him about a few issues there as well as we are about a week and a half away from the start of the 2019-2020 college basketball season. Another hot topic here in the state. Let's go to the phone lines now, though. 800-849-2761 to be a part of Free For All Friday here today. Let's start things off with Kevin in Asheville. Kevin, uh, what do you have for us here on Free For All Friday on the David Glenn Show? So that's the second time. Uh, first off, thanks for having let me uh, yes, sir. talk today. So this second time I've heard someone say, you don't hear them talking in New Orleans about not letting Drew Brees come back in reference to uh, Cam Newton. That's an asinine comparison since did, has Drew Brees lost 10 straight starts? And, you know, I know everybody's going to say, oh, he's hurt, he's hurt. Okay, I'll give you two games, four games hurt, but ten straight? To compare him to Drew Brees, who's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Cam Newton, without question, is not that. It, it, it's crazy because it's not comparable. Let's not forget Cam Newton lost ten straight starts, and he said uh, Cam Newton is a better quarterback than Kyle Allen. We know that. Do we really know that? Do we? I, uh, excellent points, Kevin. I, I think that uh, certainly the Breeze comparison is one that's a little bit maybe, uh, you know, from a Panthers fan, if you're a diehard Panthers fan and you're all in on the Panthers and you want Cam to come back and, and be a part of this offense again and, and be and, and, and maybe not necessarily get back to his, his MVP status. I don't think a player that has exposed himself as much as Cam has can, can set that as an attainable goal for a long period of time, right? But if you want to see him get back up there to, to some, of those, some of those benchmarks that he had, certainly you are rooting for him to get that opportunity to, to come back in. Whether that plays out as it's a Kyle Allen loss that springboard it, uh, springboards it, or if you feel like, kind of let, let's go back to the baseball route and go, go Wally Pip, right? You, you don't think that, that you will see someone that that has been performing at at a level we can make the argument and i think kevin brings up the point cam newton maybe hasn't been at his highest level but but he has been the established franchise player for for that particular team is it necessarily right to say that an injury is going to knock you out of that out of that perch if you will with drew Brees, it's it's an interesting conversation there too because new orleans is one 
They, they, they are continuing to pace the division. They, they are creating separation, especially if things don't go the Panthers' way this weekend. But with Drew Brees, he is, to Kevin's point, an icon. No doubt about it. Face of the franchise. And the difference here is that he has been productive. And Cam Newton has not necessarily in, the, uh, in, in that, that snapshot for the two of them. Drew Brees is winning championships in New Orleans. Cam Newton has seen regression in his seasons since 2015. There's no other way to, to shake that out. I mean, that's a statistical truth. So as you are debating that point, you can definitely see where someone like Kevin comes in and says, hey, look, the, these two guys aren't on the same playing field right now. I think where, where Panthers fans get sentimental is for what Cam was back in 2015 and hoping that he can get back to that point. Drew Brees is living that moment right now, and and he's he's writing the the uh, the storybook finish to what will eventually be the end of his career, uh, and doing so in in a in a championship way. Uh, so I think it's an easier conversation to be had. Hey, when Drew Brees is ready to go, we're ready to go. Um, you know, because we are still winning. We were winning when he led us there. It, we're winning now. Um, with with Cam Newton obviously going through the struggles of the end of last year, struggles to the beginning of this year, and he has been banged up uh, for all of that time, uh, fighting a variety of injuries. I think it's a harder case to say that it's an absolute truth that you that you want this back. But the sentimental aspect of a Panthers fan would love for that to happen. We don't want to see our stars ride off into the sunset. Whenever that moment is for Cam, he's got one more year left on his deal with Carolina. I'm sure he's going to be healthy enough uh, to be able to get some sort of contract somewhere, whether that's in, in Charlotte or, or somewhere else. But you don't like to see your heroes ride out like that, right? Not the banged up version of, of you know, what was formerly a great player. You want to see them ascend back into that point. Hopefully, Marty Herney and, and Ron Rivera are, are erring on the side of caution here, and they're going to allow Cam to get healthy rather than rushing him back, and he's going to get that chance. Whether he performs or not, that's one thing, but you'd at least like to see the guy healthy enough to have that shot. I, I remember, um, you know, I'm a Cubs fan. I've said that before uh, as I've, I've been guest hosting this program. I think about Ryan Sandberg, and, and Darren, you're a baseball guy. You can maybe, maybe attest to this. You think about Ryan Sandberg pre-retirement versus Ryan Sandberg coming back from retirement and then playing those additional year and a half, two years, whatever it was. It, it was, you know, Ryan Sandberg went out as, at the time, the highest play, paid player in Major League Baseball, and he was a guy that was performing at a high clip. Personal reasons made him shut it down. When he came back, there was that sentimental, oh, man, Ryan Sandberg's back and he's going to make the team better. But he had been away from the game. He was a year and a half, two years older, and he wasn't the same guy. I feel like my my love for the player took a hit a little bit because he was a diminished version of the player when he came back versus the guy who was, you know, Bruce Suter game and MVP and the home run derby champ and all of those things, uh, making a name for himself as, a, as an iconic franchise player, wasn't the same guy. And, and I feel like even as a diehard Cub fan, my image of him is tarnished because of that. Yeah, and, uh, and that was even uh, less to do with the physical aspect that it, it might have to do with Cam Newton. You mentioned his diminishing play since his MVP season. Well, that's been due to injuries. Right. With, with so much time away, and we've heard Cam talk about this sort of thing, the struggle of constantly – trying to to build yourself back up physically and build yourself back up physically over and over again, that can take a mental toll and, and a psychological toll that might result in something similar to the Ryan Sandberg 
situation. Yeah, I, I liken Cam Newton a little bit to uh, to that major league pitcher who's losing miles per hour off his fastball and has to reinvent how he attacks the game. Yeah. Um, you know, I was listening to John Smoltz talk on the radio on the way down here. You know, Smoltz had to reinvent how he was utilized in his career. But but there have been pitchers that have, you know, they were the 96, 97-mile-an-hour fastball guy, and then all of a sudden that 97-mile-an-hour fastball was 92 or 3, and now now I'm a finesse guy, right? And and there, so much of the allure of Cam early in his career was his ability to just freelance out there, and he could be the runner. He could be the the, the guy that could gallop down the field for 70 yards, or he could, he could work to weapons of the passing game. You know, there for a while he had – very seasoned weapons within the passing game that that he could that he could hook up with. Now you see a guy who's coming off of an injury. You know he's had the shoulder. He's got this deal with his foot now, which has been probably even more so limiting because it completely takes him away from the physical activity that allows him to to be who he is. Right uh, to the point where the team won't even travel him. They won't even take him on the road because they don't want him to stand up the whole time. I mean, this is a different situation than what we saw with the shoulder. So so now you look at him when he comes back from this and he's given the opportunity to really hit the physical reset button, how much more so, even more than we've seen already, is he going to have to think about longevity and thinking about reinventing himself? I think we all know that Cam's strength is not as a pocket passer, but how as a an NFL quarterback and one that's had success, can he take some of that success along with wanting to maintain some physical attributes of, a, of an elite quarterback and make himself a different weapon and also utilize the weaponry that he's got. You know, when Cam was playing in 15, he didn't have Christian McCaffrey. He didn't have a, a, a running game that was that dynamic then. It was a, it was a, a multifaceted running game. It wasn't just one guy. Um, you know, his pieces are a little bit different. He also doesn't have maybe necessarily the seasoned veteran group at receiver that he did back in 14 and 15, uh, you know, when, when he was really kind of coming into his own as a player. So part of that's personnel. He's not going to be able to lean on Greg Olson forever. We, we all know that. So there's going to be an evolution there. I, I think as, as we look at this short term, sure, Cam's going to get an opportunity and maybe it works out for the Panthers in the sense that you are keeping mileage off a guy who who has gotten into a groove before maybe he can be the late season boost as the Panthers are making a run at a wild card or or potentially a division championship we'll see how it all shakes out um but as you look more long term I think that he's got to use this time as, a, as an opportunity to sit there and hit reset and say while I'm sitting around here can't can't stand so I've literally got to sit how am I going to make myself look as and 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 utilize my best talents and and, and best version of Cam Newton this year next year and whatever is, is left down the road. So uh, I, w- I would imagine he's taking some time to think about that. Uh, Kyle Allen, meanwhile, just keeps going out there and, and, and doing what he does. I think Kyle Allen's handled it pretty well, though. Uh, you know, Twitter and, and Instagram reactions are, are news drivers these days, right? So Cam's out there. There's a picture of him on Instagram. I think it was maybe Tuesday or Wednesday is one of the first days back on the practice field, and he's going through the, the dynamic stretch period. And, of course, you know, the Carolina Panthers official feed takes a picture of that. And one of the first people to like it was Kyle Allen. And yeah, that's, I mean, he's got things he can continue to learn. He's a young quarterback himself. And I'm sure having somebody that's won an MVP at the position in the same room as him, uh, being able to to help him through some of these experiences is something that's going to only make Kyle Allen a better quarterback, whether he continues to play for the Panthers beyond this or, or uh, becomes that guy, you know, Will Greer hasn't even been talked about uh, in in a while. Um, You know, whatever Kyle Allen's future holds, he is better 
by being able to learn every day from Cam Newton right now and, and whether Cam gets on the field and is able to teach him some or, or continues to be uh, a voice in his ear in the meeting room. We'll see how that shakes out throughout the rest of the season. All right, 800-849-2761, the number to call to be a part of the program. We've got interns Will and Jilly ready to take your phone calls here on a free-for-all Friday. We're going to take a, a timeout. We'll come back to more of your calls, more of your questions, more of your thoughts on where we sit here uh, in the middle of a jam-packed sports season. We've got the NBA going on, the NHL going on, Major League Baseball, World Series, college basketball days away, college football in its midpoint. You can even throw some NASCAR in there, too, man. We, we are not going to hold back here on a free-for-all Friday. More of the program coming up. David Jackson in for DG today on The David Glenn Show. The great difference between sport and capital E Entertainment and capital S Sport is that we don't know the outcome. And that feeling of uncertainty, positively or negatively, is unique. We are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote, you know, Aristotle or Confucius. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back into the David Glenn Show. David Jackson in for DG today. Free for all Friday style. That's how we're working these next hour and a half or so. 800-849-2761, the number to call. Plenty of topics out there for discussion. You know, I, I listen to the DG Show very frequently. Always a fan of the program and, and certainly enjoy the chance to come in here and, and hold the fort down when DG is away doing bigger and better things. I enjoy a good DG rant every once in a while. And, and one of my favorites is when he goes off on a tangent about how his show is not a political show. You know, when politics comes in to sports, he, he tries to, to massage it. But he's like, this is not a political show. This is not what we're about. That's usually a precursor for him to going into some sort of way that, that politics and sports merge. We have one of those ways today. And, and I feel like I, I need to give that DG clarifier out there uh, that this is not a political show. We often do not like to see politics come in to the David Glenn show unless there is a sporting issue involved. And, and there is a way that politics may intersect Game 5 of the World Series if it goes that far. It was announced earlier today that President Donald Trump said if there is a Game 5, he plans to attend to watch the Washington Nationals and the Houston Astros battle in the nation's capital. We said earlier in the programming, it's the first time since the 1930s that there has been a World Series game played in Washington, D.C. Donald Trump wants to go if there is an opportunity uh, for, for a Game 5 and, uh, and cheer on his hometown Nationals, I guess. I, I don't know whether he would have a rooting interest in this thing, but, but he has said that he is going to head to Game 5 if there is one. Kind of brings up an interesting history opportunity here, though. If President Trump goes to Game 5, if there's Game 5 for him to attend, he would be the first sitting president since George W. Bush throughout the first pitch at Yankee Stadium before Game 3 in 2001. Obviously a huge swell of emotions around that moment. I think that's uh, another one of those things that we can remember uh, as, as uh, kind of where were you when, uh, when George Bush uh, imprinted himself into that situation, given all that had gone on with 9-11 and, uh, and helping New York reclaim its, its identity and, it, and its uh, everything positive about the city. Uh, that was still a very difficult time, and, and George Bush was able to go in a very presidential way and be a part of that moment. Some other presidents who have attended World Series games, of course, you throw it all the way back to Woodrow Wilson in 1915. I, I don't know that there's good good footage of that. I don't think they've got anything on, on like Snapchat of Woodrow Wilson <laughs> throwing out the first pitch back in 15. 
1915, that is. Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover did it three times. I guess he was a big baseball guy. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt did it twice. Dwight Eisenhower, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan. All presidents who have attended World Series games while they were in office. I believe Barack Obama went after he was in office. I think, uh, uh, and I know that that just with the the lineage of baseball in the Bush family, I am almost certain that that George Bush Sr. attended baseball games. Uh, I know he did before, certainly after he was president. George W. Bush was part of the ownership of the Texas Rangers, so he obviously had pre-baseball experience before uh, becoming commander-in-chief and and part of the reason why he was always kind of uh, in and around the game, former controlling owner of the Rangers, as a matter of fact. So uh, anyway, there's an opportunity for you to see – you know, politics and baseball intersect. Now, of course, you know, it's got to get to that point right now, right? You've got to have a game five. And right now the Washington Nationals heading to their home park, uh, getting ready for the Houston Astros tonight, eight o'clock first pitch, give or take a few minutes after the top of the eight o'clock hour. And it's an opportunity for the Nationals to drive a wedge in this thing. Anibal Sanchez making his first appearance in the playoffs since taking a no-hitter eight innings in uh, against the uh, St. Louis Cardinals back in the uh, in the uh, 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 NLCS. So you've got the opportunity here to see uh, Sanchez tonight uh, as he looks to continue what has just been uh, an amazing wealth of pitching uh, in a series that was kind of built that way. This hasn't necessarily been one. Uh, now, it's funny, you have 11 runs scored by uh, by Washington um, in, in a game that Justin Verlander started just a couple of nights ago. Uh, but this was a game, uh, this was a series that was kind of built on pitching. We'll see if that kind of returns in its truest form uh, here tonight. Game three of the World Series getting underway about 8 o'clock. 800-849-2761, the number to call. Uh, Darren, before we go to break, I do want to ask you, because I know you're a baseball guy and you're, you're probably in a baseball superstar. I'm sure that as you played the game, you probably jumped over the baselines. Uh, you, you certainly, uh, you know, had your things about the game, batting gloves in the back pocket, only one on the right side, two in the left pocket, whatever it was, all of us had our things here. So I'm wondering how you feel about yesterday, the Washington Nationals, and you got to give it to them. You know, they haven't had a World Series game on their field ever, this particular one especially. Um they actually practiced. They set up the stage and they practiced the um, the the trophy ceremony. Yeah, there are pictures all over the internet of them setting up the stage behind second base and and making sure that it all worked and kind of going through that. Is that procedural sports <laughs> thing that must be done, or is that what are you doing messing with karma uh, in a situation where you're up two to nothing uh, in the series and and tempting fate by by assuming that you can just get this thing done. It's funny. I was talking to the interns about this earlier. I think my feelings towards something like this have changed over time as I've graduated from from player to to broadcaster to person in radio and and works in baseball for a living because I I know enough uh, event promotions people in the sports world to know that there's no way, absolutely no way, you can allow the Nationals to win it all in game four, if that's the case, without having gone through this <laughs> and exactly. at least having done a dry run of the ceremony. I can envision, you know, me at 20 years old or whatever, screaming that the baseball gods are not going to like this and, and it's not going to go favorably. Uh, but I get it. I get it. I think it's necessary. I do think it's 2019, so we're seeing it 
in pictures and video more, but this is probably something that typically happens, right? Well, I, I think the error here, if there was one, is don't do it on the off day. You know, don't do <laughs> yeah. it while the reporters milling around and they're they're back to the you know they're back to the ballpark and they're they're trying to catch players. You know that you've got the uh, the mandatory press conference for the pitcher the next day that goes down the day before. So so people are going to be there. Why why weren't they doing this during game one or two? Bring the crew. You know, the, now I know they had a watch party at least for game one. So so maybe there's some some issue there. But how about set that thing up? in the middle of the afternoon on game one and say, yeah, let's go through it. Let's, let's just make sure whatever. I do agree with you. I've worked in, in sports long enough to know that, that you're not breaking the stage out for the first no. time, <laughs> especially in that moment. Right. But, but I think there are ways around that. Maybe there's a, there's a timing element, flip the lights on at 2 AM and do it. If you have to, whatever it is, but, but uh, I, now again, I'll go back to my Cubsdom for a second. I remember, I think it was the, uh, 08 playoffs when they actually had a Catholic priest come in and bless the dugout. Yeah. And then they got swept. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there are all different ways that you can play superstitions and, and, and how that works into operations and don't think for a second. And, and it'll be interesting. Well, we'll have Buzz Peterson on a little bit. We may be able to get some insight from him on this. When you're a coach and you're dealing with that superstitious element, you're, you've got your your team's in a groove, and you know whether it's because we're we're not washing their practice clothes, or we are washing their practice clothes, or, or we're we're practicing at the same time every day. When you're in the groove, you keep the groove going, right? But then there's always some administrator that comes in and says, "Hey, coach, we need to do this," and it and it upsets that. Watching the coach administrator dynamic in those situations should be televisable. It is awesome theater, and I'm sure Buzz has probably worked himself into that. I would imagine that there are probably some people in the Nationals' dugout going, what are you guys doing? Don't do this. Don't <laughs> tempt fate. But they did it anyway. So we know the stage works. They had it set up. They even had people milling around on the field to uh, to, to make it look like they, they had the, the postgame scrum going on. We'll see if they'll get to set the stage up again or whether that will be on Houston, a franchise that has done it before. 800-849-2761, the number to call to be a part of Free For All Friday. We're going to take a break. We come back with J.J. Cooper, executive editor for Baseball America. We're going to talk about a minor league baseball, major league baseball issue that has some North Carolina, good old-fashioned Tar Heel State implications. We'll explain that next. David Jackson in for DG today on The David Glenn Show. You like college football? It's Taj Boyd. Taj, how are you? Welcome I'm to good. the show. I'm good. Dave, man, I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm excited for the question that you're going to ask. Mark Richt of Georgia, please stop taking our best high school football players, but otherwise, thank you for the visit. Last thing for Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. So do we. The David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it a lot. You got it. Welcome back into the David Glenn Show. David Jackson in for DG today. Again, special thanks to my friends here at the Sports Hub. Kernersville for uh, playing host today. They uh, make the trip off the mountain and uh, didn't have to go all the way to Raleigh in the process. So thanks uh, to the Sports Hub folks. 800-849-2761. That's your number for Free For All Friday. We'll get back to your phone calls here in a little bit. We talked a little bit before the break about a, a, a Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball storyline with some serious North Carolina implications. As we mentioned early in the program, 12 Minor league franchises here in the state, 11 of them with affiliated teams, one of them uh, the High Point Rockers in the Atlantic League. Minor league baseball is what we do. It's one of the things that North Carolina is known for, for a sporting perspective. All of the levels, all of the opportunity to see tomorrow's stars uh, play out right here in our state, uh, from rookie ball all the way up to AAA. And, and some, uh, some of the game's biggest stars have made their way either through here 
playing against teams based in North Carolina or have been part of teams based in North Carolina. Maybe not necessarily a superstar, but we talked about one of those players earlier this morning or earlier today as well in Joe Girardi actually played for the Winston-Salem Spirits back in the uh, the late 1980s before he became the manager of the Yankees, now the manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. So, again, minor league baseball, part of our culture. Um, earlier uh, or last week, J.J. Uh, Cooper, executive editor of Baseball America, uh, was really one of the first out in front of the story of the conversation going on between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball and, and what was an ultimate defining moment in their relationship in not only how they operated together, but how they implement what we know as the minor league setup now and, and some ramifications that could see as many as 40 of these teams go away. So we wanted to talk about that more in a sense of what that means here in North Carolina, what we could kind of expect there. So we bring in J.J. Cooper, longtime Baseball America writer, one of the best in the shed there uh, with Baseball America since 2002. J.J., thanks for taking some time to join us here today on the David Glenn Show. Happy to. How are you doing? Doing well. So, so kind of update us on, on where this conversation has gone since since you uh, were were able to uh, with the Baseball America strength get this story out in front of uh, baseball fans' minds. Where have things progressed in say the last week uh, to to eight or nine days now in in the ongoing relationship between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball and how they will make sense of implementing a new way that they that they basically uh, set up the minor leagues. Um, officially nothing has really uh, progressed because they've taken October off from negotiations. The idea being with the, with the MLB postseason, they didn't want to have any official negotiations during October. They're going to get back together and meet in November. Um, but at the same time, obviously there has been an awful lot of discussion. Uh, and, and really, I mean, I think one of the things that, that's most significant is, is commissioner Rob Manfred was asked about it and I don't want to mischaracterize him, but it seemed like that he was soft-pedaling a little bit, like, okay, yeah, this is a proposal, but really what we want is to have these players playing in good facilities, and if we can get that, then, then we'll be happy, which is something that was in the reporting last week, is, is that one of MLB's core issues here is, is that they feel like that there are, there are teams, there are Players, you know, minor league players are playing in subpar facilities, and they want those to be improved. But there did seem to be this week, maybe a little bit more of a indication that that maybe this is a starting negotiating position, and also maybe that some of the pushback that they've heard on it has uh, has at least in a slight way uh, indicated to them that that maybe there there are some some PR hits to be taken if they really wanted to go forward with this idea of of eliminating essentially uh, 25% of the minor league. J.J. Cooper from Baseball America joining us here on the David Glenn Show. And and let's take that, you know, from the implementation perspective here a, a bit and uh, allow for us to to maybe go inside the office of the minor league general manager that gets this communication mm-hmm. that says, hey, by the way, things are going to get shaken up here. Don't count on a whole lot of of normalcy here in the in the near period. Don't count on anything really beyond 2020 uh, as as we figure out exactly where this thing's going. You take that in into the conversation of a state that has seen several communities uh, invest big dollars into revitalizing uh, downtowns with minor league baseball stadiums. Canapolis has just done it. Fayetteville's just done it. We, we've seen that that model work here. 
How does that sit on the on the minor league baseball GM's desk? Because that's a, 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 a team owned by a family or a corporate business or something that might not necessarily be affiliated other than just the player development agreement with a major league baseball franchise. Yet here is this new thing coming down the road. Right. And there are, as you know, there are a number of teams that that is the case. You know, Fayetteville is obviously owned. You know, they, they are owned by the Astros, so they have uh, a little bit different relationship, Kinston with the Rangers. But, but I, you know, most of the full-season clubs in the, in the state of North Carolina are not owned by their, uh, their big league, uh, uh, you know, the team that they're affiliated with. And no matter who you are, what this does start to do is create a lot of uncertainty because it, it is the nature of negotiations like this that – these things don't often get resolved if you're going to have the contentious negotiations like this. They get resolved at the last minute. You need that time pressure of a deadline to kind of get things worked out. But what that means is, is as you, it's going into, we're going into the 2020 season. This is the last season of the current professional baseball agreement. So it is at least possible that there will be teams around the minor leagues who next season will be their farewell season. And no one has that idea yet. And it is also possible, it is at least possible that no one will know that when the season ends because this PBA will expire after the season. So it is possible that everything gets worked out next offseason. And so it's theoretically possible that there could be teams who play their last game of 2020 and hope and everything seems good for 2021 and then in a reorganization, they're, they're not back in 2021. And so, understandably, that has created a lot of, of anxiety and, and a lot of uh, worry, you know, around the minor leagues because there's a, just a, there's a whole lot of unknown on something that really, if you look back over the, the last 30, 40 years, has been a certainty. If you had – if you were an affiliate – if you were a minor league affiliate in the Carolina League or the Pacific Coast League or wherever, you knew that you didn't know what team you were going to be affiliated with, but you knew that you were going to have a minor league team, a, ma- a major league team providing players for you next year, the year after, the year after that, and the year after that. And that is at the core of it what this would potentially change is, is it is possible that that will no longer be the case. Now, it, I should clarify one thing, which is, is that if, a theoretical, if a team that is currently has an affiliate, if they're, you know, they, they were told you no longer have a player development contract, you no longer have a PDC. Theoretically, it's been in the past, there have been teams who've basically provided their own players. And that can happen. But it's been a long time since we've seen that anywhere in the minor leagues. And it's kind of hard to imagine minor league baseball going back to that, something that we really haven't seen since the, the late 80s. Yeah, I remember seeing those those uh, times in the standings, you know, when they, they put the, the major league affiliate next to the minor league team and it would say co-op or something along those mm-hmm. lines. You know, that that was certainly a throwback and, and something that I thought about. Um, as we talk with J.J. Cooper of Baseball America more about this this major league baseball, minor league baseball uh, development agreement, wh- what it could mean to some of the uh, the franchises here around North Carolina. Are, are there are there any franchises that are immune from this, uh, or or is this truly an industry wide shakeup that could see someone like a Greensboro move up a rung, or a, a, a Winston, or, or a uh, uh, you know take another franchise and maybe move them down a rung in terms of where they're seeing those players slot in the pipeline? I know there's been some discussion about trying to make things fit regionally. 
uh, for for the Major League Baseball affiliate to have some of their affiliates closer. Uh, that that's an awfully difficult puzzle to put together, I would imagine. It, it is a difficult puzzle. Now, when I say immune, I, I would say that there's no team that is absolutely immune from being affected by this. Now, at the same time. Major League Baseball has laid out that what they are looking for in this is they want top-notch facilities for the players. They want to either cut costs or share the cost of increasing salaries and share those costs with minor league baseball or cut those costs. And they want better travel. They want more geographically contiguous leagues where there's less long bus rides, all those things. Well, if you just look at those criteria, no one's immune from being affected by this, but I also, I would feel comfortable in saying that you look at some of the the gems of uh, facilities that there are here in North Carolina, you know, they're going to have baseball in 2021. Charlotte has consistently been voted uh, probably the top ballpark in all of minor league baseball right now. So that's a top-notch facility. Durham has long had a top-notch facility. Really, a lot of the facilities in North Carolina you know, I, I would be stunned, as you mentioned, Canapolis is, you know, is open in a new ballpark. I, you know, they're not going to – I would be stunned to see them show up in, in 2021 and say, hey, sorry, we don't have any, you know, we don't have any uh, – a team for you. But at the same time, none of this is certain right now because, again, we're, we're very preliminary in negotiations. They're, they're both sides are, are kind of – are still working through a lot. But, there, you know, MLB has made a proposal. I know, like, one aspect of it is the South Atlantic League, which has a lot of teams in, you know, North Carolina. South Atlantic League has 14 teams right now. Well, there's a proposal where the South Atlantic League would become a 16 league. You know, so eight teams, it doesn't mean all eight teams would be eliminated, but it would mean that eight teams are moved to other leagues or, you know, and maybe even moved in classification. So there's so many moving parts here that it's impossible really to say, no, 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 this is going to stay exactly like this, this one aspect. But at the same time, if you're looking at some of the top facilities in the minor league, I, I also say it's, 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 it's illogical to think that, that Durham is going to wake up and not have a team in 2021 because that just doesn't make any sense. J.J. Cooper joining us from Baseball America here on the David Glenn Show. And, and you know, we'll take it to the root of this for, for those of us that live in the state or, or travelers that come to the state and see minor league baseball as an entertainment option. You know, we have we have long grown up. You know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to be a bat boy with a minor league team. Once you see the, the, the facilities, you see what the players go through. As fans, we connect with those players. There are probably some people listening to this program right now that have been host families for some of these players. We, we've seen a lot printed and and the discussion has gone a lot about the relationship between the the two entities but what does this ultimately mean for player welfare is this as you just kind of alluded to a moment ago is this like that 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 first track that you can start to travel down that gets to increase pay increase um in in other maybe non-monetary things like uh you know having nutritionists around is this going to make the minor league baseball player's life better if this plan is put in place? I would say whether this plan or some other plan is put in place, I would be shocked if major league, if minor league, I should say, minor league baseball players are being paid the same as they're being paid now in 2021, 2022, 2023. And I don't think, 
minor league baseball and really because they're concerned about contraction has kind of has come to the defense of, of current minor league pay. It's an apprenticeship, all these things. But the reality of it is, is that the way it is currently structured is really untenable. I, I know there's some, probably some people listening who say, Hey, they're getting to, you know, I'd love to play baseball. They're getting to, you know, follow their dream. A player right now, uh, let's say theoretically could be, you know, signed out of out of college as a 25th rounder after his junior year, signs for a little bit of money. So the bonus is not really something that he can live on. He's going to head to spring training in at the end of February, the start of March. He will come home at the end of the season in September, you know, mid-September. It is possible for that player to make less than $3,000 over those six months, wow, five months. And so, you know, there, there's a lot there. Like the reality is, is as it stands right now, players don't get paid for spring training. And that's going to become, I think, very legally difficult for them to, to justify. Players don't get paid if you're in extended spring. Now they, when I say don't get paid, they put you up in a, in a room, they pay for the room, and they feed you. They do do those things. But you don't get paid. And you can't work a second job, obviously. You, these are, you, know, you can only work a second job in the offseason. So as it stands right now, players, especially at the low levels of the minors, are often spending their offseason working to earn enough money to survive during the season. Because, again, the, the hypothetical player just talked about, you're not getting paid in March for spring training. You're not getting paid April, May, the first half of June for extended spring. Then you go to the Appalachian League and you're making like 1200 a month. Well, in that kind of scenario, you're only getting that 1200 a month for the end of June, July, August, and then you're done. You're done like the first week of September. So I think that is going to change. I think that you're going to see everyone agrees that facility standards need to improve. And so with that, no matter what happens here, you're going to see facilities, which let's just be completely straightforward about it. There are some palaces in minor league baseball that are beautiful. And there are many places where if you were an SE, you're playing in the Southeastern Conference or the ACC, and then you get signed as a pro player, you are stepping back 20 years in time because oh, sure. <laughs> you come from a facility that is great and you go to a facility that is not all that upgraded for what you would see in 1992, 1995. And so those things are going to happen, I think. Now the question is, is how are they going to get there? Well, JJ, you, uh, excellent reporting on this, and and it's no uh, no surprise at all to see Baseball America driving the uh, the conversation about this nationally. Thanks for spending some time with us and clarifying some of this stuff. And and uh, again, such an important part of our sports culture here in North Carolina. Good to have uh, people updated on where it could go, and and uh, and hopefully seeing those stars of tomorrow maybe being a little bit better situation. Thanks a lot. All right, that's J.J. Cooper from Baseball America joining us here. Uh, really fascinating stuff. We'll get into some of this conversation in, in the uh, the third and final hour of the program just about you know, kind of the ramifications of this from a player development standpoint as well. I mean, you know, when is an organization going to invest enough and say, you know, we're paying these guys millions and millions of dollars, but, the, you know, every organization is looking for the cutting edge, right? It's that whether it's a new analytic way to look at the game or, or what have you. The first organization that says, you know what, we're doubling down on player development. We're going to make sure that these guys are eating right, they're training right, they're in facilities where they can continue to hone their craft. 
throughout the year so we are developing them quicker and we have them as assets to move or help for the major league club whatever there hasn't been one yet that has just said we are pouring as much as we possibly can into that as jj alluded to it's been kind of scraping by we'll see if maybe this agreement leads to the next big change in the industry uh, that, that affects major league franchises as well interesting stuff 800-849-2761 the number to call to be a part of free for all friday we're going to take a break come back with more of our number two of the david glenn show UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in, in any way. And yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. I, but I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. David Jackson in for DG today. 800-849-2761. The number to call to be a part of Free For All Friday. Plenty of calls coming in the third hour of the program. Let's get to Cameron in Greenville right now talking a little bit about our baseball conversation we were just having. Cameron, what you got for us here on Free For All Friday? Hey, David. I, I, I love that, that segment that you just talked about, um, minor league baseball and how ingrained it is in North Carolina history. Uh, I grew up in Goldsboro, about uh, 25 minutes from Ranger Stadium in Kinston. I remember going to see all the Kinston Indians game with the Kinston Indians, and that's just one of my favorite childhood memories of me going to Kinston Indians with my dad. And now it's the Downey's Wood Ducks. They got a great, uh, they remodeled the stadium. It's, it's a nice and nice facility now, and uh, the Downey's Wood Ducks have a great team. It, it would be a shame if uh, the, the minor leagues were to leave Kinston again. But I was going to say, and a lot of people may not know, but. Uh, to add to Kenton's minor league baseball history, C.C. Uh, Sabathia played his first two years at Kenton Inns and uh, Grady Sizemore. So those are two famous major league players that came out of Carolina minor league system that a lot of people may not know about. But uh, hopefully the minor league thing will get worn out, and hopefully that Kenton will still have a minor league team uh, in the next few years. Okay, Cameron, you, you hit on some, some great points there. Thanks very much for the call about, you know, the, the lineage of a, a team to a city. I remember Delmar from Kinston back at Granger Stadium talking us through the, the starting lineups and whatnot. But but every every city's got their, their players that came through. Don Mattingly played in Greensboro. Uh, you know, you can, you can just draw that line around. Wade Boggs and Winston-Salem, Hall of Famers that played in this state. You'd like to think that those relationships between the cities that nurtured those folks and having a baseball team can stay. Uh, we'll see what, what comes of the minor league baseball thing, but certainly a very interesting conversation to have in a state that means so much to the minor league uh, the franchise in general. Back with our number three of the David Glenn Show. Again, David Jackson in for DG today. We'll be right back after this. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show. NCN News, I'm Jeff Hamlin. Investigators in Nash County have charged a woman with first-degree murder in connection to the remains they found in a backyard. It is a 15-year-old cold case. Deputies found the remains strongly believed to be that of Deborah Deans, who has been missing since 2004. 49-year-old Kimberly Hancock has been charged in the murder of Deans, a mother of four. Authorities said Deans and Hancock were sisters-in-law and briefly lived together. 
Neighbor Teresa Hamby tells CBS 17 it's a stunning development. Very shocking. And to actually know the people that live next door, even more shocking. Dean's made her first court appearance this morning and requested a court-appointed attorney. High-speed rail service connecting Charlotte to other major metro areas in the southeast has long been a topic of interest for business leaders. On Thursday, Georgia transportation officials laid out three different possibilities for the project at a meeting in Charlotte, and the price tag on the plans ranged from $2 billion to $15 billion. Scott Higley is with Georgia DOT and tells WSOC, There's currently no funding identified for the project and no sponsor stepped forward for it. Federal prosecutors say the streets of Raleigh are safer now that two gang leaders have been convicted of murder, racketeering, and other crimes. Prosecutors say 37-year-old Demetrius Respect Divine of Garner is the godfather of the black mob gangsters. And 31-year-old Brandon Beasy Mangum is one of the top generals of the Bloods gang sect that U.S. Attorney Robert Higdon focused on drugs, guns, and prostitution and used violence to maintain membership and discipline. We are grateful for the jury's verdict and for their willingness to look those thugs in the eye and to convict them. Both men have yet to be sentenced. They face a maximum of life in prison. You're listening to NCN News.